Welcome to the Constructionist Podcast, hosted by Caleb. Just as we grow gardens and build buildings, God is building you through the renewing of your mind. The sufficiency of the scriptures is paramount in your journey, and every week, Caleb will challenge you to make them a central part of your life and worldview. Join us now as we explore the world through the ancient lens of God's Word. Hello and welcome back to the Constructions Podcast. We're out for a nice walk on a kind of blustery morning, so you might hear some wind blowing or some crackling under the old feet as we amble down the path. But I said in our little five-minute trailer that we're going to do a series on Romans, and not Romans verse by verse, but more of a how does Paul try to explain an understanding of the law? Now, let me point out to you that when you read the Bible, God does not just lay it all out on the line. Us Westerners, us people who live, who have a descent from Europe and ultimately from Greece as kind of Greek, Greco-Roman thinking people, Greco-Roman thinking people, we have this strange habit of wanting to have things kind of black and white and systematized, and yet we fail at it all the time. (laughs) We try to compartmentalize things in our brain, and what we end up doing is contradicting ourselves in some other way somewhere else. So just think about it, you know, your life. It's, we're told from the Bible that we have to give all of our life to the Lord. And let and yet, we tend to fall in these stupid habits of thinking, well, the church says I only have to give 10%, so the rest of the money is mine. It's like, well, no, it says you have to give all of yourself to the Lord. It says you have to be merciful. It says you have to be compassionate. And yet, we know that there's evil in the world going on, and we don't fight to see these evils made nothing. We just sort of contradict ourselves regularly all the time. We say that the world needs Jesus, and yet we don't go out and necessarily talk about Jesus, and I'm as guilty as the next guy. So this happens constantly because we are kind of Western-minded people. If you live, if you're somehow white descendant from Europe, that kind of thing. So other nations and other cultures don't have that particular problem. They might have another problem that that means they have to overcome it in a in a different sort of way. But the Bible comes out of a Jewish Eastern mind, a Middle Eastern mind, a, a mind that is not like our Western way of thinking. So it's a challenge for us sometimes to kind of overcome these things. So when I say let's look at how Paul is explaining how to view the Old Testament or how to view the law and how it should be kept, it's not like he sits down and just says, okay, here's how you need to understand and view the law. He does it, and the whole Bible does it, more through a kind of real-life explanation of the thing, not because of any kind of systematic explanation. So it requires us as Westerners to be a bit more diligent in our reading, to ponder these things, to really think through what is being said, to read it over and over and over again, to get out of our mind 
what shouldn't be there and to get into our mind the way it was presented in the text. You follow me? So, having said all that, let's talk about the life or the the, the life setting or what was happening in Rome at the time that Paul wrote his letter to the Romans. So God, in his infinite wisdom and knowledge, chose for the book of Romans, the letter to the Romans, to be written at a particular time by Paul. And then he inspired Paul to say what he wanted to say in the way that Paul would have wanted to say it. That's kind of how inspiration works. God inspires a person to write what God wants them to write in the way or the style or the manner that the person seems best to write it. So it's clever how that works, really. But um, anyway, having said that, so what was happening in Rome at the time that Paul wrote? So Rome, the church there, we don't know, nobody knows, no scholar knows who actually founded that church. The best we can say is that in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit comes upon the apostles, and it says that they're speaking in the tongues of the languages of all the different people who had come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Shavuot, it says that among that list, it lists loads of different nations that these people, all Jewish people, come from, or people who are seeking the God of the Jews. One of the places, it says... Jews from Rome and proselytes. Jews, Roman Jews and proselytes, it says. And so that indicates to us that there was in Jerusalem, at that moment, listening to the apostles speaking in probably Latin, I would imagine, that they would have said, oh, this is the language of Rome. Latin. And the Jews there would have known that language who were from Rome and also proselytes. So these are people who were not Jewish by birth, but they were Roman or Italian or whatever, and they took on the law and the traditions and the customs of the Jewish people. So they, in effect, converted to Judaism. They're proselytes. So that's who was there when the Holy Spirit came, and they would have then taken this message back to Rome and founded the Roman church. So the first church of Rome is not Roman Catholic in the way we see it today, but it actually was a Messianic Jewish fellowship of Jewish people, both Jews and Gentile proselytes or people who converted to Judaism, who now acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah of the Jewish people. So those were the ones who first founded the church at Rome. Now, A number of years later, about 20 years later, there was an edict given by Emperor uh, Claudius, if I remember correctly. It says in the New Testament. And he, for whatever reason, was mad at the Jews, and he expelled them from the city of Rome. So we know that Aquila and Priscilla were two of those who were kicked out. So uh, they, it says in the book of Acts that they were kicked out. And they then eventually later, a lot of the Jews came back. But for about five or six years, Jews were expelled from the city of Rome. So during that time frame, now like I said, this was about 20 years after the events at Pentecost. And so at that point, you would have had a lot of non-Jewish believers 
entering the church. So these would have been just normal people living their life in Rome, and they would have heard about the gospel, and they would have then joined the church there. So the the ideas of like, was there some kind of separate meeting in the, from the synagogue or whatever, those kind of details we don't really know. What I'm suggesting is that when Claudius kicked out the Jews from Rome, then that meant that the Jews who believed in Jesus, like Priscilla and Aquila, would have also had to leave along with Jews who didn't believe in Jesus, who were still just attending synagogue. So they would have been out the door. Now that would have left then Gentiles who were believers in Jesus, who didn't go the full scope of Jewish circumcision and things like that to become part of the church, because you don't have to do that to become part of the church. So remember, this is after probably Acts 15 and things like that, where they would have sent letters out to the different churches and things. And Paul knew a lot of people in Rome. Uh, if you read Romans 16, it seems to indicate there were five house churches functioning in Rome. And Paul lists all the various people that he knew in those churches. So uh, this is a well-established fellowship that was there. So the Jewish believers and the Jews had to all leave Rome. That meant that it was the non-Jews who were still believers in Jesus who were there having their regular church time together. So over the process of five or six years, you can imagine that evangelism still would have been taking place. The Lord would have been adding numbers to the church. There would have been a shrinkage when the Jews left, but there would have been growth then of new believers. So at that point, you can imagine that it would make sense that those who were of the oldest of the leadership who were Jewish would have left and then an emphasis of obeying the law of Moses would have declined. And so maybe they would have eaten kosher at their church services or, uh, you know, they certainly would have been little Jewish kids born to people who believed in Jesus still would have been getting circumcised, little boys and that kind of thing. They probably met on Saturday, which was the Sabbath just in maybe a different location to the synagogue, but they would have met on the Sabbath. Those kind of things would have easily just continued because that's what they were used to. There's no reason not to do those things. It's biblical. Let's carry on doing it. But then after five or six years, when it was just Gentiles, they would have been having their meals together as a fellowship and their gatherings together as a fellowship and they would have been reading the Old Testament, but they would not have been reading it. They wouldn't have called it that. They would have called it the Tanakh or just the scriptures. Uh, but they would not have been reading it from that literal keeping of the law perspective. It would have become more Christocentric, as in like you keep the spirit of the law and not the letter of the law. So then after five or six years, they would have had the Jews coming back into Rome and they would have been re establishing themselves with the church, the ones who were originally part of the church, and it would have caused some contention. So when Paul writes to them, he's writing to them in order to try to bring some clarity as to how to best interact now with the Holy Scriptures if you are a Jew who is under covenant to keep the law to its letter, and if you are a Gentile who has been grafted in and is in Christ, but isn't absolutely of the line of Abraham required to keep the law to the letter. All those little details and things like that. So that's what the contention was all about. 
And Paul uses this phrase in Romans chapter 1. He says, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So when you read that, you go, oh, as it is written, where? Well, the where is Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, where it says that um, the verse there talks about the proud, and then it talks about the just will live by his faith. And that is a very well-traveled verse in the days of Paul. It was in the, obviously, the Hebrew, the Masoretic text, or the Hebrew uh, text of the scriptures. It wasn't called the Masoretic at that time. We call that we call it that now because of something that happened a thousand years later, but, um, or three or 400 years later, actually, but they would have had it in the Hebrew text. The, the text of scripture would have already been translated into Greek. So it would have been transferred to the, to the Septuagint, which is the Greek, uh, Tanakh old Testament. It also, uh, during the days of Antiochus, when the Greeks ruled Israel, uh, they created a whole series of texts called the Targums. And so it was in that and also, it would have been used by the Dead Sea Scroll community who had their own uh, interpretations of the Scripture, which are reflected in the New Testament as well. So it was quite a hodgepodge of different elements coming in to influence the idea of what Habakkuk 2.4 is saying, that the just shall live by faith. It was a fairly common ver- verse And it appears in the New Testament three times. It's used by Paul in Romans and Galatians, and it's also in the book of Hebrews. So it was a well-covered passage. Now, um, this idea of faith to faith, the just shall live by faith, as it is written, um, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So if you are seeking the righteousness of God, if you are seeking to know God in all of his holiness and rightness, it's revealed from faith to faith. So that phrase, in a sort of literal way, implies from faith or out of the faith that you have to the purpose or the goal of faith. So see, from faith to faith. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And so this is a important concept because what it does is it helps us to understand the book of Habakkuk, but it also helps us to understand how we are to read the law. Because later on in the book of Romans, Paul says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. So when we read the text of Scripture, it was given to us by God in such a way, like I said earlier, that we are to ponder it that we are to read it slowly over and over and over again. It's the kind of thing that we need to talk about and discuss and find out what other people think about it and hone it down and keep it within its proper context, always looking at it, comparing Scripture with Scripture, comparing what's going on in our life, what's happening in the history of the church, how did other people understand this passage, what's the best way for me to live it out right now pray 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 in the midst of the whole thing seek older people who have walked with the lord for a long time that's the kind of real life uh study that really should be going on and to try to understand what it is that the scriptures are actually saying so when you jump back to habakkuk and read habakkuk 2 verse 4 
you find that over the course of the entire book, the prophet Habakkuk is actually moaning to God <laughs> to a degree. He's saying, why is there all this evil happening? Why is there so much violence? Why is there so much injustice? Why is it that the law has failed, he says? He actually uses that phrase in chapter 1. Why is it that it seems like the law has failed? So he's looking at the letter of the law and kind of realizing or seeing that it doesn't seem to line up to the world around him. But later, if you carry on reading the book, he shifts from the letter to the Lord. And then he starts saying, but Lord, you are holy. You are righteous. You are true. You are the God of creation. You are over all the nations. Your wisdom exceeds so much more than what my wisdom can comprehend. And then when you get to the end of the book, there's this beautiful psalm at the end, and it really is a psalm, where Habakkuk wraps up by saying, even if the crops fail, even if the fruit doesn't come out, even if the grapes just die on the vine, even if there's nothing for the goats and the sheep to eat in the fields, I will trust in the Lord my God, and he will give me hind's feet or deer's feet to walk on the rocky or the hard places. It's this lovely little conclusion to the whole thing where Habakkuk's focus is clearly on the holiness and the eternal nature of God and his mercy and grace in our lives. So that is really Habakkuk moving from faith to faith, getting his eyes off of all the troubles, off of all the injustice, off of all that stuff, not denying that it's there, but just not making that his focus. His focus is the Lord and the Lord's righteousness and the Lord's goodness and the Lord's truth and the Lord's mercy and the Lord's salvation. That's the shift that has to take place. He moved from faith to faith. His reading of the law went deeper. He looked beyond the text to the Lord of the text is what he ended up doing. And this is exactly what Paul grasped when he says, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So he's taking hold of that and he's putting it into the situation in the church of Rome. And he's saying, hey Romans, um, the law of the Lord is a little bit bigger than just you know nitpicking it to death. You could actually go a step beyond and seek the Lord himself. Go a step beyond. Read the text. Yes, the, the law is our tutor to bring us to Christ. That is our ultimate aim, is to go above and beyond and to find the Lord himself. The law is there for that purpose. So it's kind of a double level thing. There's almost two stratas there. You can read it in its black and white letter, or you can look beyond it to see the glory of the Lord and the Spirit beyond it. And it's all interwoven within the text. And as you read the scriptures, you'll see this, that there's like this literal practical element to it, and then there's a deeper spiritual element to it that takes precedent over it. Same text. It just depends on how you're looking at it. So we're going to carry on with this idea in future episodes and we will see how this develops and what Paul is saying. And if we are humble and we're in prayer 
we will move from faith to faith, knowing that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, because the just shall live by faith. God bless you, and we'll see you again next time. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you were challenged and encouraged by what you heard today, please feel free to share it with any friends or family you like. You're welcome to email us at calebtheelectrician at gmail.com. That's calebtheelectrician at gmail.com. And remember to leave a comment at iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere that you listen to podcasts.